Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life, so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel, and ladies, I have a question for you. Are you tired of feeling like you're the one putting in all the effort to make your relationships work? Then go to speakingofpartnership.com right now and click on the big red Tell Me More button and find out how you can get men to do their part. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I am so excited to bring you today's featured guest, my friend, one of my all-time favorite teachers, Allison Armstrong. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Now, for anybody listening who doesn't know Allison already, she is an author, she's an educator, she's the creator of the widely acclaimed Queen's Code workshop series that it asks the question, what if no one's misbehaving, including you? She also explores the good reasons behind the behavior of men and women, such as fundamental differences in the way that we think, we act, and communicate. She offers simple partnership-based solutions to improve our communication and intimacy by honoring ourselves and others. Allison is known for her insight, her sense of humor, and her ability to articulate the human experience and predicament of gender. Allison, take a minute and fill in any blanks in that intro and and give us a glimpse into your personal life, if you would. Oh, wow. I've never been asked that before. Let's see. Greg and I celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary last weekend. And one of the ways we celebrated was he went and visited our children and I got to be home alone. Interesting. Yes, my introvert, so happy, so very, very happy, such an amazing present. And um, and part of the present was he didn't take it personally how badly I needed time alone. <laughs> so that was awesome. And uh, yeah, I have three kids, three cats, down to two dogs, a donkey, a horse, and Ken wasn't kidding when he said we're friends. He's actually spent the night at my house. And not very many people can say that. That's true. Yes. Yeah. At your place there in Colorado. It was wonderful. Yeah. When I tell you, you know, I'm sitting in the sunroom looking out the mountains, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do indeed. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show. And, and I, I love to have a start with maybe what you would call your guiding principle, or, or maybe it's a quote or a mantra, but but something that you apply in partnership that keeps you on track, and, and maybe even share a little bit of how our listeners could apply that to the partnerships in their lives. Okay. Um, so I've had one that I've been practicing consciously since last summer, and um, been been unconsciously been being trained in it by by my mentor Michelle Skrull and it's a a quote from Ray Hunt who's one of the fathers of natural horsemanship and what he said was be as gentle as you can and as hard as you need and yeah as gentle as you can as hard as you need so you know the way that I interpret that is Present what it is that's true for you as as softly, as kindly as you can, but don't 
don't back down. Don't back off. Don't pull your pre- your punches. If you need to keep increasing your pressure to be heard, then you keep increasing your pressure as much as you have to. I like it. That's really cool. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that this comes from uh, one of the founders of, of Natural Horsemanship, because I know you've, you've done a lot of work around the partnership that, that someone would have with a, with a horse and how that can relate to the partnerships we have in our life with other humans. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Um, yeah, you know, I love talking about that. It happened when I started horsemanship lessons with Michelle. And in the middle of probably my third or fourth lesson, I just stopped and said, this is, this is some of the best leadership training I have ever had in my life. And I wanted all my staff to have it because it really, you know, I was learning how to communicate with a horse, but everything she was teaching me applies to human beings. And by the next summer, she and I were doing a course together where we would team up with the horses to teach women how to communicate with men because that was something that I had observed that horses are a lot like more like men than women. Now we have use horses in both directions because there's also ways that horses are a lot like women. Um, But yeah, it's just been a, it's been this very visual and kinesthetic way to explore partnership because you got a thousand pounds reacting faster than a domesticated cat. And, and so when you get it right, you get it right in such a big, clear way. They respond so quickly. Yeah, I can imagine that would get your attention. It does. A thousand pounds, like just getting, jumping on what you've asked them for with alacrity and looking at you like, what else can I do for you? What else can I do for you? That has you get get it through your head and your body that you communicated effectively. Yes, I, I'm sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking because I grew up on a farm and I was around animals like that. I never thought about like, yeah, you don't you don't mess around. When they do something, you pay attention. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So one of the things that our listeners love about our show, Allison, is the stories that our guests share. And I, I'd love for you to, to help us out there by, by giving us a story of a time when you had, it's what I call a duh moment. One of those times where you're just like, um, how did I miss this? How could I have been such a knucklehead? And then we'd love it if you'd expand on the steps you took to turn that wake up moment into a building block for future partnerships. <laughs> Okay, so given that what I do is research men and women in partnership, I have a duh moment uh, about every three weeks, it seems. And um, to paraphrase a man uh, (laughs) I have a lot of respect for, he said, anyone engaged in seriously in personal growth and transformation about every six months will think that, um, well, I'll say the word jerk, but he used a stronger word, uh, was running your life, right? Like Mm -hmm. every six weeks, every six months you wake up and go, oh my gosh, you know, that I had an idiot running my life before. So I have a lot of duh moments. And I think one of my most important ones 
because I had been teaching women for so long, almost the opposite. So that was a like a duh and a uh-oh at the same time, was that I'd observed for many years that when a man needed something, he immediately got it. That when he was hungry, he would immediately eat. When he was tired, he would just fall asleep, right? Like you just... We call it. We call it. I need. I get. And we we talked about men's needs being critical and urgent. And and it explained, you know, why men could frustrate the women who want to cook for them because they'll walk into the kitchen and say, "When's dinner going to be ready?" And she says, five minutes." And he he takes out a snack, and <laughs> <laughs> and she's just crushed that he took out a snack, insulted that he took out a snack. Um, how inconsiderate of you, can't you wait five minutes, right? And there's also a part of her that's really upset because because she, she unconsciously thinks he's going to be less hungry, so he's going to be less pleased by me providing food, and so I'll get less credit for all the work I did because he won't be as hungry as he would have been if he hadn't snacked and then he'd be starving and then I'd get a whole lot of appreciation. So I've been talking to women about this for years that it's, it's not personal. It's just, I'm hungry now. Five minutes is too long when you're hungry now. So, you know, for a long time, I thought men were so much better at getting their needs met because uh, what it looked like from the outside was that you got them met as soon as they arose and and then I found out that that wasn't the case at all, that that men's needs were growing like in the dark while you were paying attention to something else. So so men have a term called the, as you know, called the breaking point and and they have to eat. They're at the breaking point. I have to eat now. I have to sleep now. I have to have sex now. I'm at the breaking point. I need to be alone now. I'm at the breaking point, but how the, it's really a breaking through point. So this need has been growing. They've been getting hungry and hungry and hungrier. And then finally the hunger breaks through the, the incredible focus that they've had on whatever result they were producing. And that's why it's always so critical and urgent because it's been, it's been growing and growing and growing over time, but unawares under the surface. And that's when I had this, just, oh my gosh, what, that was a huge duh moment because I'd known about single focus for so long. I'd known about the ability of a man's brain to, to tune out everything irrelevant. I just didn't know it was also tuning out basic needs. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that you brought that story up because, um, my lady love and I, Anna, we share an office here in our in our house. We both work from home, and and it's very common for me to be working, and all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna go grab lunch, and she'll say something like, oh, well, I'll, I'll come have lunch too, and of course for her that means she has seven more things she needs to do before she goes to lunch, including walk the dog and lots of other stuff, and I go down and I make lunch and I eat it, and she'll be like, oh, you ate lunch? I'm like, yeah, that's what I said I was gonna do, and she's <laughs> like but I want to eat lunch with you. I'm like, well, why did you do all those other things first? (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally, she's to her. That's not that it doesn't have that urgency, but you're right. I'm just like, okay, it's time to eat. And that means now. 
and and women, you know, get hungry, but we have an awareness that it's happening, but we're distracted by all those other things to do. And of course, she's, you know, you should have waited for me. <laughs> yeah, that that sounded a lot like her, actually. It was a very good impersonation, since you haven't even met her. <laughs> no, it's true. And and what I love about about the example you gave is. You know, as, as we both know from our work is partnership is so much about understanding the other side of the table so that you're not offended by it. Yes. And it, it's not a somebody's right or wrong. It's, oh, well, that makes total sense. That's how they work. It's not a personal affront. It's not they're doing this to, to make you angry. They're just, I, it's the other funny part about what your, your story was about, you know, oh, dinner's ready in five minutes and you grab a snack. I probably do that every day. Yeah. And Anna just realized, oh, he likes to snack before dinner. And then it has nothing to do with me not wanting to eat the food that, that's going to hit the table. Um, because I do that when I'm cooking. Yes. I'm snacking while I'm cooking. That's not going to keep me from eating what I'm cooking. It's because yes. I'm feeling like I need something right now. So maybe that's what informed that for her, because I don't think we've ever talked about the fact that that's why I'm going, oh, cool, 10 minutes, great. I'm going to go eat some crackers. Yeah, it's something that we don't even think of. And, um, and you know, what I teach women is if you if you want the credit, then put the crackers in a bowl and set them on the counter. <laughs> Call it an hors d'oeuvre. And you provided that, too. When's dinner going to be ready? In five minutes, there's your crackers. <laughs> I, I will definitely let Anna know about that. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's probably good. probably pretty predictable when you get hungry. Yes. So you just, if you plan dinner 15 minutes earlier, then they can arrive at the same time, the, the food and the hunger. Yeah. Food and the breaking point. Yeah. No, it's true. It's very true. You know, a lot of people might be listening to this thinking, wow, this is so sexist. I'm, you know, talking about women cooking dinner earlier, right? You yeah. know, or putting crackers in a bowl that have an hors d'oeuvre. Um, wait a second. Isn't this the 21st century? Why am I waiting on a man? And And I think that's one of the things that we really need to talk about and get out in the open. You know, what is... What are some of the stereotypes say we're supposed to provide and what what would be a joy to provide? What am I hoping you'll let me do for you? Right? And I'm what am I hoping you'll want to do for me? And you know, the question I've had in my marriage for the last 3 years is how sweet could we be to each other? And if someone wants to just get practical, you know, men are really grumpy when they're hungry. <laughs> and not very productive. So, you know, if you can get ahead of, you know, this is when this is when they're gonna, you know, deconstruct on me. Um, then we can support each other in being a lot more productive. Thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. So, I wanted to ask you. It's something I'd love to explore, which is what I call one of your proudest moments in partnership. And what I typically find around this is easy way to identify it is just what's a partnership moment that you can't help but smile when you think about it? Well, it actually happened in Colorado before I lived here. 
um, we were on vacation visiting my brother and I had an emergency appendectomy. And uh, so I spent the whole vacation in the hospital and missed out on spending time with my brother. And it was time for the family to go home. And I didn't want to go. And I asked my husband if I could fly home instead, because it was also really hard to drive in a car. And could I drive home like a day later so I could be with my brother? And and he said, okay, and he supported it, and we made the reservation, but he kept saying, I don't feel good about this. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel good about this. And I kept, like, talking him down. You know, you're going to be fine. The kids travel really well. You'll be great. You know, and I'd talk him down and talk him down, and and then he still was shaking his head, like, this just doesn't feel right, but he still left. He left early in the morning, and right as he was leaving, I got it why it was all wrong and and the short version of it is that the hardest part of the drive he'd be driving into the sun he'd be tired and that his and my relationship would be like a rubber band stretched all the way out because because what was wrong with this equation was that he had to drive away from me and he's not built to drive away from me. <laughs> you know, he leaves on his motorcycle and makes a circle. So actually the whole time he's going, he's actually coming back to me. And so it was really heartbreaking for my brother, who's looking forward to the time with me. But I changed my reservation and I flew home so that I was going to be there when he, but even before he got there. And I surprised him. I didn't tell him I was doing that. And and I landed at the other end and I said, and I called him. I said, so where are you? And he told me. And I said, so you'll be home about 10 o'clock? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll leave the light on for you. And he he goes, what? And then he laughed. He goes, oh, ha, okay, yeah, you mean at your brother's house, ha, ha. I said, no, I'm going to leave the light on for you. He goes, what? I said, I'm here. I'm, I'm home and I'll leave the light on for you. And he lost it. <laughs> he, 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 he said, that is the most loving thing anybody has ever done for me. And, and he handed the phone to our son who was, I don't know, maybe 10 at the time. And our son, our son, who's his stepson said, why is Greg smiling? And I said, because I'm home, I'm here waiting for you. And Jeff said, cool. That is a great story. That's so cool. Yeah, it was just the right thing to do. I didn't want to do it. My my brother, my nieces and nephew, they were my nieces were just crushed. Um, but I had to do it. It was it was the partner thing to do. And so I did. Well and and what really strikes me about that conversation is what you just said of, you know, it was the partner thing to do. And that doesn't always mean it's the, you know, the easy thing to do. It's not always the happiest thing to do, but that's the partnership you have. And that's the way you support each other and are there for each other and, and recognize what, what actually provides so that each of you can be your best in that partnership. 
Yeah, I would even go further, Ken, and say that the partnership thing to do is rarely the easiest or most <laughs> comfortable thing to do. <laughs> you know, we, partnership is not for wusses. It, it takes a courage. It takes being wide awake. It takes, um, it takes, well, recently, Ken, um, you know, what I, what I created was the I Suck at Partnership Club. Yes. And, you know, with the conversation being, you have to work really hard to get to the level where you know you suck at partnership. Because to know you suck at partnership, you have to learn all about partnership. You have to be able to see it so that you know when you blew it. And most people don't even know what they're not doing. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, privileged to be at the, the birth of the iSecond Partnership Club. <laughs> um, and, and it was, I mean, it's such a, a, a great distinction when you think about it and you go, most of the problems that go on are because we don't know what we're not doing. We don't know uh-huh. how we're our own worst enemy in these situations. So I wanted to ask you something, and, and this is, um, we do a lot of stories on the show, but one of the things I want to make sure we get into is kind of some nuts and bolts or, or simple concrete guidance for our listeners so they can take something with them and, and really be able to apply it to their partnerships right now. And I'm curious, you've got all this experience studying partnership and men and women and, and the differences and where we can support each other. Outside of all the work you've done, Allison, what, what would you say is the best partnership or relationship, however you want to look at it? What's the best piece of advice you ever received around that? Wow. My, my mind tends to flick through in one order or another. Um, so I don't know if this is my best piece of advice I got from somebody else, but it's definitely something that has I've been applying and that's made a difference. And it's kind of on the other end of the spectrum of what you're talking about, Ken. Um, Greg was in a training program where he would leave for about 10 days at a time. And around six days into him being gone, we would both notice that we're, that we were not in good shape, that we were, we were both diminished by being away from each other. And, you know, on the one hand, that's cool. You get to learn what's provided for you by your partner and who you get to be because of the way they amplify you. But we'd gotten to the point where we were really suffering because this was a, a quite the persistent program. This was happening 10 times, right? Five times a year. And I was talking to my mentor, Michelle Skrull, about it because she was in the same program and leaving her husband at home while Greg was leaving me at home. And I asked her how she did it. And basically what she talked about was collapsing space. And that's one of the things that that people do. We we literally collapse the space around us. In other words, a physical, mental, emotional space that allows us to breathe and think and feel. And, and we collapse it by deciding that something's bigger than us, deciding that we can't handle something or be with something or deal with something. And then we immediately... <laughs> 
and we we become smaller. We become mentally, physically, mentally, I mean, emotionally smaller. We shrink. Our, who we are shrinks. And um, and she just she just was flat out, you know, no, I have too much invested in this program. It already costs so much to be in the program. I am unwilling for it to cost any more. <laughs> and so she just wasn't, she was gone just as long as Greg was, but she wouldn't collapse her space in missing her husband. She was unwilling to. And it was just this fascinating view into, you know, we think missing another person is an expression of love. What if it's not? What if missing another person is actually a just another expression of not being in the present? Not being in your life, not paying attention to what's around you. And and that we lose ourselves in that. And so Greg and I just made a pact like okay, we're going to be apart, but that doesn't mean we have to become less of who we are when we're apart. So it's kind of the other side, Ken, of so many people are reaching for partnership, and I love that. But the thing that people have to know is it has its own pitfalls. When you create a powerful partnership where you are so much more by virtue of your relationship with that other person, you're now in danger of when that other person's not there you you can't find yourself and and so as much as we crave that union we have to take care of who we are individually so that when we're alone we're empowered yeah that i love what you just said about there's the the potential danger in partnership of believing that you know without them being present let's say you're you're toast you're just a bundle bundle of goo, you know, you're just useless. And it's interesting because one of the things that I've observed, and and this is part of what you're talking about with, with collapsing your space, I think is, you know, oftentimes because we have that dynamic that, that amplifies who we are when we're in partnership with someone, there tends to be this belief that, well, if that someone isn't there, then I can't hold that. Mm. it's only there because they're like holding me up. Right. When the reality is it's likely there because they supported you in a way that let you step into fully more fully who you are that didn't need them. They just happened to be a catalyst that let you feel safe enough or strong enough or whatever it was to go, oh yeah, there's this part of me I haven't really been playing in. But because they were the catalyst, we think they're actually the source. Hmm. So it, it's such a great point that you made of if you can hold your space and just make that agreement, hey, there's, there's no reason this has to change and diminish just because you're across town or across the country or wherever it is. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, and I know you have some amazing books, which I highly recommend every one of her books. I've read them all, um, even though a lot of them are written for women. Uh, you as men that are listening, you will learn so much about yourself by reading her books as well. But what I wanted to ask you is, is there a book or a resource that, that you find really helpful and, and why that particular one? 
The answer would be no. It's not where I go. I go to people. I go to observation. I don't go to books. That's great. Yeah, it's just not my thing. I mean, Chet and Bernie mysteries are a really good source of amusement in my life right now. <laughs> well, good. No, and I, I love that you actually own that because, I mean, I think there's a lot of people go, oh, you got to grab a book on this or a book on that. And that's not the only way you can can get what you need. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, yours isn't that. Yours is observation. Yours is, is actually seeing what's what. So thank you for for owning that instead of going, oh, I got to come up with a book. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. And, <laughs> and I, I want to thank you so much for everything you've been sharing. And, and can you do us a favor, Allison, let our listeners know how to contact you, how they can learn more about what you do. Go to understandmen.com. Understandmen.com. That sounds pretty direct. Perfect. Yes. Well, Allison, thank you so much for your stories, your insights, and your friendship. This has been incredible, and I know our listeners have loved it. I know you've actually talked about some things I've never heard you talk about on a show before, so thank you for that, and thank you for being on the show today. You're welcome. It was great to hang out with you. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. I release a brand new episode every Monday through Friday, so make sure you don't miss a single show. Go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher and iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else, either in person or on the web. Have a great day, and remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.